Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in, I think, to the latest edition of 5th Avenue Faceoff. Hi, I'm your host, Chris Mack. You can get this podcast on a multitude of platforms. Basically, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, however you get them. Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, so many different ways in the year 2023 to get your podcast, iTunes, or on your free Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Make sure you subscribe to Fifth Avenue Faceoff if you're listening in the app right now. Go up in the upper right-hand corner if you haven't already. Tap those three little dots and and then tap follow, and you will get notified as soon as new episodes of Fifth Avenue Faceoff are ready for your consumption. If you're watching on the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page, Again, hi, I'm Chris Mack. Thank you for joining the post-game edition after a brutal, brutal 4-3 loss to the Anaheim Ducks at PPG Paints Arena. Tap that little notification bell down below. You'll be notified every time there is a new video posted to the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page, including full episodes of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Oh, mama, the story of the 2008 black and gold defense. Fourth down in the Steel City with Josh Taylor and myself, which, of course, is getting ready for Steelers-Titans, and so much more from 93.7 The Fan and Odyssey Sports. This game, brutal, is the word because I can't find many more words for this loss in particular and now where this team is given the effort that was put into overhauling things this summer. Before we start to look medium range at what lays ahead of them for the next month as we can close the book on October and look ahead to November, before we start to look long range, like, hey, when do big changes have to be made? And that may be more of a medium range problem right now. Uh, let's let's look short range and let's just look at tonight's game on the back of what has been inconsistent efforts, right? Inconsistent efforts. It feels like night after night after night with these Pittsburgh Penguins, they come off a game against the Ottawa senators in which to be quite honest, I I felt like they played the better game, but the scoreboard would never relay that message as the scoreboard would relate. They got dominated by Ottawa, right? So that comes on the heels, the 5-2 loss to Ottawa at home 
of a 4-0 shutout, stellar 4-0 shutout win against the Colorado Avalanche and the best game of the season from Tristan Jari. Really makes you wonder if maybe things are starting to hit their stride, right? You've solidified a third line, which we will get to in a minute. Uh, They were the best line on the ice tonight. Uh, And I've given them a nickname. Oh, yeah, we're excited about that. Um, But all of this on the heels then of three ugly losses in a row to Dallas, St. Louis, and Detroit. And a first week of the season that was inconsistent. So here we are now. We're three and six. The Pittsburgh Penguins are three and six. And we will get to what lies ahead and what this means for them going forward. Again, medium and long range. But let's just look at tonight's game in particular. Because the Penguins, once again, for most of the game, dominated play. And this is something that's becoming regular for them. In that they dominate a team at even strength. And you could make the excuse that coming into this game, they were one for 16 on their last 16 power play opportunities and go, well, that explains it, right? You know, you you can dominate at even strength, but if you're losing the special teams battle, then it's not going to, it's not going to benefit you at all really to win at even strength. Or if you're winning at even strength, but not finishing, which has been a bugaboo for this team for a couple of years now, you better finish on the man advantage. They hadn't been doing that. So we arrive at Monday night PPG Paints Arena. And before we get to the game itself, a very nice tribute to Adam Johnson, former Penguins product, uh, who some of you may have heard over the weekend, died in a terrible on-ice tragedy in England's top uh, ice hockey league. Uh, A skate cutting him in the neck. Uh, and he didn't survive the, the accident. Um, terrible. Uh, a, a young man lost way too soon. Uh, a guy who scored his first NHL goal is a Pittsburgh Penguin and did so in his home state of Minnesota. Um, was a part of the organization right up until right right up to the precipice of the pandemic, and then moved on. And by all accounts, I never had a chance to meet Adam Johnson, but by all accounts from those who did both in the organization and around the organization, was a really great guy. Uh, So you feel for his family. And I thought it was great what the Penguins did tonight in honoring his memory by, you know, there were were plenty of teams around the league I saw on social media tonight honoring Adam Johnson with uh, a moment of silence, which is very appropriate in this case. You lose somebody in a tragic accident at a a far too young uh, age. Uh, The Penguins decided to go with, let's celebrate Adam Johnson. And let's... Let's give him one final round of applause, which I thought was um, a really great way to do it, to be honest. Um, A a really wonderful job done by the Penguins in honoring Adam Johnson uh, before the game. And then once the game gets started, you're you're watching things and you're kind of watching the Penguins and Ducks sort of feel each other out. Through the first 20 minutes, there were goals scored through those first 20 minutes. And as has become the case, the Penguins were unable to hold on to leads. Happened a couple times tonight. What was promising, though, early on was that when Eric Carlson scores about three minutes into the game on the power play, it's something that many people have talked about in trying to fix this power play over the last few weeks. And that is. Just let Eric Carlson shoot. Just let Carlson grip it and rip it. And that's exactly what he did. And he scores. And 
bang, just like that. Power play out of the funk, and Penguins have a lead. Unfortunately, about five and a half minutes later, you get Tristan Jari flopping around on the ice like something that was just delivered to Wally's Fish Market. Uh, I, I, I don't know. And, and you get defensemen standing around Chad Ruedel and Ryan Shea like they're tourists. Uh, look, I realize the NHL game is a whole lot different from when I came up watching it in the 80s and 90s. Um, but there is always going to be an aspect of physicality to the game especially in front of either net. If you are in front of the opposition net, you expect to feel some sticks on your body. Um, If you are protecting your own net, you should be using some lumber, graphite, whatever, uh, and your own body to clear space for your goaltender. Now, Jari did not help his defenseman, but his defenseman did not help him either as Ruedel and Shea kind of stood around and watched the Ducks um, swipe at a loose puck and after it had slipped past Jari, then push it over the goal line to even things up. I, I just, I grow tired of watching this defensive core get pushed around or look uninterested and lackadaisical and playing a physical game in their own blue paint. Tristan Jari has a lot of warts and he is not a Stanley Cup caliber goaltender. I don't believe so anymore. I had my thoughts, you know, I had my ideas early on in his career. And he'll he'll have his moments, uh, but they're far too, far too far in between, few and far between, uh, to make him a Stanley Cup caliber goaltender. That's not something we learned in, in the silo of tonight's game. That's something we've seen play itself out over a while now. Uh, but when his defensemen don't help him, it's all the more frustrating. And I, I, I am convinced that someday a Penguins defenseman will physically punish an opposing forward who is standing in front of his goaltender. And when it happens, I hope my grandchildren uh, memorialize it for future generations because I, I hold no hope that it's going to happen during my lifetime. Anyway, it's 1-1 going to the first intermission. Pens come back out, and and once again, it feels like the ice is slowly starting to tilt in their direction, okay? And as the ice slowly starts to tilt in their direction, we start to see something similar to what we've seen throughout this year, which is the ice tilts in the Penguins' direction, but it doesn't lead to goals. And instead, one goes back the other way. Frank Vitrano scores. Frank Vitrano is Italian for man who owns the Penguins, Gorlami. And Frank Petrano now has 10 goals in his career against the Pittsburgh Penguins, more than he has against any other team in his career. But, but, we'll credit the Pens this, they bounce back and they get one late in the second period and they get it on the power play and they get it late in the second period on the power play from Evgeny Malkin. Now, we're going to qualify this One, I'm going to say I'm excited because Evgeny Malkin gets an opportunity to just let one rip. Absolute howitzer from way down below the right point, right? Like it's five on three, so everybody's collapsing in. And he just lets it go. It's what we want. We want shots on net. Eric Carlson showed us that in the first period, right? Your coaches and the fans have been screaming at you to just put the puck on the net 
on the power play. And it, it feels like I've been transported back to 1996 and Mario Lemieux and Ron Francis and Peter Nedved. Was it Nedved then? I think Nedved. Yeah. Zubov and Yager are out there just playing tic-tac-toe and patty cack. Patty cack? Patty cack's not a game, Chris. Patty cake is. And everybody's yelling, shoot the puck, shoot the puck. Um, if I sing any more lyrics, I have to pay my friend Scott Paulson royalties. You might just score, I bet. Shoot the puck, shoot the puck. Uh, pass it, pass it, pass it, pass. Put it on the net. I remember way too many words from that song. Anyway, Malkin puts it on the net. And it goes in. Now, the qualifier is, it's a five on three. And it takes a minute and five of this five on three for them to finally get to that point. The other qualifier is, it took Greg Cronin losing his mind. Fairly so, I'll be honest on a terrible goaltender interference call that wiped out a goal for Anaheim. So, look, I I get why Cronin lost his mind. I do. I do. It was it, it was it should have been a successful challenge. Um it took a goal off off the board for Anaheim that at that point would have given them a 3-1 lead in total control of this game. Instead, he loses his mind on the bench, gets a game misconduct, and now they've not only got Trevor Zegras in the box serving the unsuccessful challenge delay of game penalty, but they've got Mason McTavish in the penalty box. Ooh, foreshadowing. Mason McTavish in the penalty box as well, serving the unsportsmanlike conduct uh, based on Greg Cronin losing his ever-loving mind on the official Frederick I'm going to try to say this, but it's very, very French and very European. Frederick Lecure. I'm going to go with that because it's the closest I'm ever going to get to it. But anyway, Cronin loses his mind. It's a five on three pen score. Great. We're back to 2-2. We're going to the second intermission. Feels like everything is about as okay as it could be considering you needed a, a 60 seconds of five on three and multiple power plays to get to the second intermission tied with the Anaheim freaking Ducks. <sighs> okay, that's all right. Because what we're finding through the late second period and into the early third period is we got a third line. And you had your thoughts about this for the last week or so. Coming into this game, you've seen what Lars Eller and Redeem Zahorna and Drew O'Connor can do together. They possess the puck. They keep it in the offensive zone. Even if they're not necessarily getting pucks on net all the time, they're just being a hassle for the opposition, which is just what you want your third line to do. Well, they Emerald Lagasse that thing tonight. They kick it up a notch. Bam. And they have an utterly dominant game. Dominant game by what I am now dubbing the EZO line. You see what he did there? E for Eller, Z for Zahorna, O for O'Connor, EZO, because it's easy for them to generate offense at times. The EZO line. Go ahead, pass it around. Tell your friends. We'll make t-shirts in the strip. It'll be great. We'll throw a party if this team ever actually does anything besides lose games to the Anaheim Ducks and the Ottawa Senators and the Chicago Blackhawks and the Detroit Red Wings and the St. Louis frickin' Blues. Anyway, the easy O-line. It's the one bright spot, so let's celebrate it. They absolutely dominate. How so? Six high-danger chances for just one against. 
So seven scoring chances for, only two against. Six high danger for, just one against. They were dominant tonight, the third line. They were the best line on the ice. Either team, by far, the best line on the ice was the easy O line. Eller, Zahorna, and O'Connor have found something. And if this team were good enough to get to the playoffs and these three were still together come springtime, we would be making t-shirts in the strip and celebrating these guys like HBK or Stahl Kennedy Cook or any of the other great third lines that have helped the, the Penguins chug along to a Stanley Cup run. That's not happening this year. But we got a cool nickname for them anyway. The Easy O line. Eller, O'Connor, and Zahorna. Eller, Zahorna, and O'Connor. I want to make sure I get it right so that the acronym makes sense in your head. We found a third line. The problem is, it really doesn't mean much. I shouldn't say it doesn't mean much. It doesn't mean as much when two other things are going on. Your goaltender is not making the big save when called upon to do so. And look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm out on Tristan Jari. I'm just out. I'm done. I know there's nowhere else to turn at this point. Like, it's not going to be the Magnus Helberg show. But uh, this contract, I had somebody tweet me after I I had posted about Tristan Jari never making the big save in the big moment. And that was (laughs) before the third period even. Uh, And they said, man, that contract's starting to look pretty bad, pretty rough. Uh, the, The contract for Tristan Jari looked bad the day it was signed. But we all knew it was coming because we knew what the goaltending market was like in the offseason. We, we knew Jari was coming back. We never thought he'd come back for five years at that number. That's going to hamstring this organization because if they want to get out from underneath it, they're going to need Jari to show something. You're going to have to have somebody show some level of interest in him in order to get him off the books at some point in the not-too-distant future. And who's going out of their way to help you get Tristan Jari off the books? I'm not going out of my way. There's not another Vegas Golden Knights coming around to take one of your two Stanley Cup-winning goaltenders off your hands because you don't have any Stanley Cup-winning goaltenders anymore. So Tristan Jari's not that dude. And it was on display tonight, flopping around like Wolies on the first goal. Um, I, I will give credit where credit is due. On the second Anaheim goal, was it the second one? I want to make sure I have things straight here. I don't, I don't want to... Uh, yeah, it was the Vetrano goal, wasn't it? Or was it the McTavish goal that tied it at three? Uh, he, got his, he, he got sniped over the shoulder. And there wasn't much he could do about that. There was one goal tonight. I'll just chalk up and say, hey, beautiful shot. But here's the problem. Um, he never makes the save that you need him to make at the absolute moment you need it to be made. Other than that penalty shot against Detroit a couple weeks ago, that's really it. That's the only one he's had this year where he went, whoa, okay. That's what we needed, and this is when we needed it. Hasn't happened. It just hasn't. And so you're left with a guy who makes most of the saves that he's supposed to make. No, I take that back. It wasn't the first McTavish goal late in the third period that tied it at three. It was, in fact, I'm just watching the first McTavish goal back, and it's just, what, what, is, what is going on here? 
Like, how does how does Tristan Jari allow himself? And look, the puck gets turned over high in the defensive zone. It's a really nice pass, but why is his five hole open there? Why? A- anyway, I-, I I can't handle Tristan Jari being the dude that that doesn't make the save anymore. It was the Vitrano goal, by the way, that was the snipe over the shoulder. But here and over there. So it's late in the game. Zahorna has scored early in the third period. The easy O-line has struck gold yet again. McTavish gets the one where he dances in front five hole off the turnover high in the zone. And we're tied up at three with about 17 minutes left in the game. From there, the Penguins continue to pepper Lucas Dostal. And Dostal plays out of his freaking mind. Out of his mind. 32 saves on 34 shots. He absolutely stoned Sidney Crosby at one point. Excuse me, stoned Jake Gensel on a beautiful feed from Sidney Crosby, much like Crosby had been stoned by Johnny Whitehall earlier in the game, which actually on that sequence, John Gibson was hurt. I hope John's okay, uh, but had to leave the game at first intermission. Anyway, Dostal just absolutely shut the pens down. It doesn't help that when they get another very big power play opportunity, by the way, they're only two for seven on the power play tonight. So as nice as it was to see Carlson score early on the power play and Malkin rip that one on the five on three, not enough for me to say they have, there are any signs that this power play is bouncing back to life because it cost them the game late. It cost them the game late when they're lucky enough to run into a five on three. When I imagine if Greg Cronin hasn't ripped the sink off the wall and slammed it off a mirror in the shower in the locker room at this point, he did. When he sees another five on three get handed out to what's supposed to be this Hall of Fame worthy power play, right? Carlson, Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, whoever else they want to throw out there tonight, it was Riley Smith. You have three Hall of Famers on the same power play. Three Hall of Famers. You can barely get shots on net because nobody wants to shoot the damn puck. And it happened again. Five on three late in the game. McTavish goes for tripping Lars Eller. Sam Carrick goes for putting the puck over the glass about 10 seconds later. You've got a minute 49 of five on three at with, with 207, 208 left in the game. The rest of the game is essentially a power play. Here we go. All right. Gino showed us how to do it earlier. Carlson showed us in the first period. Here we go. This is where we win it. We walk off against a, a less talented team. We show those young bucks how the old crafty veterans do it, right? We got our together. No, no, they don't. No, they don't, because they get out there, and on the five-on-three, they proceed to do what every four-year-old girl loves to do on a playground and what this power play loves more than nothing else. Patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. Screw a power play up as fast as you can. Roll it and dust it off and pass it to the next guy and never put the puck on the net again. It's ridiculous. Eric Carlson who earlier rips one, lets it go, scores, just refuses to take the shot again. He's back and forth with Evgeny Malkin at the top of the zone. Malkin, 
who also has scored earlier in the game on a power play by just gripping and ripping it, refuses to shoot the puck for some reason. And he's playing patty cake. And the two of them are up there. And all what happens, the puck gets turned over. And it gets kicked out to awaiting Mason McTavish as he leaves the penalty box. And it's a breakaway against Tristan Jari. Well, we know, I mean, Jari, we could trust him to make the big save in the big moment. Oh, no. There you go. Shorthanded goal, game over. With five seconds left in the power play and 12 seconds left in the game, the Penguins are down 4-3 and lose by that score. And I don't know how you get two five-on-threes for what ends up being a combined almost three minutes of two-man advantage time. And you get one, one freaking goal. One with three Hall of Famers on the power play. And the second power play generates more chaos around the net than the first power play does. So this team's three and six now. Your short-range view, they screwed the pooch on the power play again tonight, and their goaltender isn't good enough to pick them up when they fall down. That's your short-range view. Your medium-range view, you've blown. You've blown the scheduling advantage you had. I'm going to go back to it again because... I said it three weeks ago, right before the season started. I sat down, I sat here in this space and talked to you guys about the advantage the schedule gave them. Chicago, Washington, Calgary, Detroit, St. Louis. We'll even skip over Dallas and Colorado, right? Ottawa, Anaheim, San Jose, Anaheim again. Who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting maybe two others. No, that's it. Nine of your first 11 games were eminently winnable. Just based on the opposition and what you did in the offseason to fix your own organization. Hiring a new GM. Bringing in Eric Carlson. Revamping the bottom six forward group. And you've wasted it. You've wasted it. Those nine games of the first 11 that were all eminently winnable, you have played seven of them, and you have won exactly two of them. You're two and five in the first seven of those nine games. Even if you lose three of those, even if you go six and three, and even if you lose to Dallas and Colorado, and even if you start the season six and five, at the very least, you've got 12 points in your first 11 games, and you're treading water. They're not even treading water. They're the worst team in the Eastern Conference right now. And that's not just based on the way they're playing. That's based on their record. Every team in the Eastern Conference, as I speak to you right now, and let's see, are there any games that have not gone, any Eastern teams that haven't gone final? So um, Montreal is out West against Vegas. Full transparency, it's about 1035 on Monday night. And Montreal is out uh, west playing Vegas. They're only in the first period. Uh, Montreal down one nothing in that one right now. But let, let, let's even if Montreal loses that one, okay, well, that's fine. Let's say Montreal loses that one. It will still mean every team in the East will have played somewhere between seven and ten games. The Penguins have played nine. The Penguins have the lowest points percentage per game in the Eastern Conference. They have the fewest points in the standings in the Eastern Conference. 
In the league, the only teams worse than them in those regards are the Edmonton Oilers, the Calgary Flames, and the winless San Jose Sharks. They've wasted any capital the schedule handed them. It's gone. And now, they're staring down the barrel of, tell me if this sounds familiar, a game against the San Jose Sharks that should get them their equilibrium back, right? This reminds me of last February, late January, early February in the All-Star break, and they had the Sharks at home, and they crapped the bed there. We went to the break wondering, what's up with these guys? Here we go again. They've got the rest of the week off. They're going to go out west. They've got the Sharks on Saturday. And then they visit Anaheim a week from tomorrow, Tuesday, November 7th. Those two games have to be wins. They have to be. They have to be. If you are the first team, if you start the way they have in their first nine games and game 10 is you're the first loss, or excuse me, the first win of the San Jose Sharks season, I mean, we're rapidly approaching when do we do something big and what do we do territory. Kyle Dubas painted himself into a corner this summer when he walked into the job. He essentially said it was Mike Sullivan's job as long as he wanted it. We got a problem here. You're not getting rid of Crosby, Malkin, or Latang right now. Those guys are tied to the organization for as long as they want to be tied to the organization. The only thing you have left to do is dispose of the coach. And look, I am not here to tell you that everything's going wrong because of Mike Sullivan. It's not. It's the execution on the ice. Are there some guys that the message from Sully has probably gotten a little stale? Absolutely. This guy's been, I mean... You can measure an NHL coaching tenure in dog years. This guy's been around forever. And I like him. I like him as a person. I like him as a coach. But what else are you going to do? There's nothing else left other than a big trade. And Kyle Dubas is not a guy like Jim Rutherford who goes and makes a trade just to make a trade, Carl Hagelin. And then everybody ends up regretting it much later. Tanner Pearson. So the only thing Dubas will have left is stand pat and watch this thing disintegrate before his very eyes or make a move on the coaching staff. What's he going to do? Sacrifice the coach in waiting, Todd Reardon? Maybe because the power play sucks. I don't know. Maybe that's the move, but that's not going to actually affect any change. What, a bunch of guys look around at each other in the room and go, oh man, that sucks. Reardon's gone. So when we get out there, you want to just kind of like pass it around on the power plane while stand there with our thumbs up our butts? You think Todd Reardon? Hell, I mean, we're at the point where I don't even know if firing Mike Sullivan would register a big enough shockwave through the room that these guys would change the way they're playing. In fact, I think it might have the reverse effect at first. What you might get is a bunch of staunchly entrenched veterans who look around and say, I can't believe they fired our coach, man. 
and double down on the way they're playing. I don't know how you fix this. I do know. I take that back. I know how you fix this. These guys start to play like they're capable of playing. You, it's still in there. You see it in Malkin's shot that scores the power play goal in the five-on-three. You see it in Carlson's shot. You see it in the multiple point-blank opportunities Sidney Crosby had tonight, the way he set up Jake Gensel, the way that third line dominated. It's in there. So, so actually put it together, or your head coach who you love is going to get fired, or one of the assistants that you've known for a decade or more is going to get fired. Because you guys, you big three and Carlson, none of you guys are going anywhere. You're entrenched. The goaltender is not going anywhere either, unfortunately. He's another one that could stand to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and ask himself, what the hell are we doing here? Because what lays in front of them now, as they sit with the worst record in the Eastern Conference, once they get through San Jose and Anaheim, in the next eight days. They go to LA. Uh, that might not be good. And then they come home for Buffalo. And Buffalo's sputtering a little bit out of the gate, but they're still talented and young. Then Columbus. Okay. Uh, that's an opportunity, maybe. Let me tell you what the... I'm going to go one, two, three. I'm peeking down at the schedule here. For those of you watching on YouTube, excuse my lack of eye contact. Um, one, two, three, four, five of six. Yeah. Uh, six of eight, six of their eight games at the end, six of their last eight games of the month. Let me rattle these ones off to you. Jersey at home Mm. at Carolina Mm. home against Vegas home against the Rangers. Eh. I'm just gonna keep making noises for each one. Then you go to Buffalo. Okay, that's the first half of a back-to-back because after that, you got to come home and play the Maple Leaf. Mm. Then you go to Nashville. Okay. Although, Nashville hasn't started terrible this year, 4-4. Four and four. And then you go to Tampa. Ooh. Oh, boy. Like, it's not ridiculous to think that by the time you get to December 2nd, when they have a home-and-home with the Flyers, uh, a wrap-around-the-weekend home-and-home with the Flyers that first weekend of December. It's not entirely crazy to think that they could be one, two, three, four, five. I'll give them five out of their next 13. I mean, that that would... They could be eight and 19. No, sorry. Eight and 14. Eight and 14 going into the month of December. You, you you rarely dig out of that. I know Rob Rossi has written about it a lot, both for The Athletic and his previous stops. It's been written about by lots of different people that about 75% of the teams that are in playoff position around Thanksgiving will still be there come April. It's very hard to change your stars and change your fate after it started to bake itself in and you get through a quarter of the season and you're more than five games under 500 
which is what this team may be just based on the schedule through the month of November. Now, I say all that totally knowing and understanding that this team also dominated the Colorado Avalanche a few nights ago and gave them their first loss of the season. Like Kevin Garnett said, anything is possible. But it doesn't look like it right now for this team. This team looks lost. They look absolutely, totally, utterly lost. And other than the easy O line, T-shirts available soon in the strip, they got nothing going for them. And Carlson, when he when he commits to shooting the puck, they're in a bad way, friends. They are in a bad way. And long-term, like I said, that's your short-term and your medium-term. Long-term, aside from possibly missing the playoffs again this year, despite all the maneuvering you did this summer, if that were to happen, any moves that don't get made during the season to try and course correct will get made in the offseason. Like, guys will be asked to waive no trades. And I don't mean any guys. I mean guys. I'm looking at you, 71 and 58. People will eat portions of contracts to get them out of here. Looking at you, Jari. They can't, you can't go forward like this anymore. You can't. And if if it continues to slide so wildly downhill like this, the fixes have to be drastic. They have to be. Because when you brought these three guys back, and when you went out and got Kyle Dubas, and you went out and got Eric Carlson, you committed to this team taking one more good run at a cup. What the hell is this? What cup are you taking a run at here? A freaking Dixie cup. The one from two girls, one cup. Don't go look that up. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have mentioned that. That's gross. Don't do it. It's not a Stanley Cup. They're a disaster. And if they don't fix it this week in practice before they head out West and they should like lose two out of three out West, big moves got to be made. Big moves got to be made. And if they're still scuffling the way they are right now by the time they get to Thanksgiving, yeah, I love Mike Sullivan, but that's got to happen. Maybe it won't. Maybe there's no chance that any of these big moves happen and they are content to just muddle along to the worst record in the Eastern Conference. Would be a hell of a way to go out, though, for Sid, Gino, and Latang To go out as doormats who can't get out of their own way and only occasionally look like a, a, a husk of themselves. And an organization who commits to those three because they believe they still have it, but has to fire a coach because those guys refuse to do it and because those guys can't get out of their own way and because the goaltender is a disaster. And the new GM who gave that goaltender a big, fat, long contract. Everything, everything gets called into question when you look this bad. And here's the reminder. I know, they were on the precipice of winning this thing. Five on three power play for the last minute and a half, minute 45 of, the, of regulation in a tie game. But it took them nearly three minutes of five on three time just to get to 59 minutes and 48 seconds of a tie game 
against the Anaheim Ducks. They should have run the Ducks out of the building if they're any good. Lots of problems. They are many. And they need to start rectifying them soon. I don't know if you feel any better about things now, but I feel like I got some things off my chest. So if nothing else, we got some things to talk about and some t-shirts to make because we will find a silver lining in that easy O-line, Eller, Zahorna, and O'Connor. As always, thanks for joining me here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. You know, if you want to get reminded of new episodes as soon as they are available, that all you have to do is in your favorite podcast app, just tap follow or subscribe. And then you'll get notified as soon as they're available, especially inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. It's free. Download it today. Take all your favorite sports, podcasts, news, and music with you wherever you go. And don't forget, you want to watch because you got a thing for this face? Eesh. Uh, by all means, the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page where full-length episodes of Fifth Avenue Face Off and all of our podcasts, Fourth Down in the Steel City with Josh Taylor and myself, Oh Mama, look back at the 2008 Black and Gold Defense, and all kinds of content from 93.7 The Fan gets posted absolutely every single day. Thanks again for joining me. Thanks to Greg Finley for producing. This has been Fifth Avenue Faceoff.